It's the sports wrap on a Wednesday. Sam Yarnell in for Jason as I am on the middle day of the week every week on this fine program. We got a loaded show coming up for you today. Big story out of the NBA last night. My close personal friend, AM New York sports writer JJ Beal, right around the corner to break all of the NBA happenings down as we're two weeks into the regular season and the in-season tournament continues to roll on on Tuesdays and Fridays. Lots of headlines in the NBA all around that. Tino Patino just around the corner to stop by and break down the huge F1 race coming up in Vegas this weekend. First time the F1 circuit makes its way to Sin City and it's in 2023. Just a hunch, by the way, Sam, just a hunch. I got a feeling he's got a lot to say today. I think he's got a a lot to say. As you hear the ghost of Jason making his presence felt on the sports rap, I have a feeling Tino, it's going to be the Tino show today. I mean, the amount of knowledge that that guy usually has about F1, I think that Tino's going to have a lot to say. And his his close personal connections to Vegas, uh, the guy just knows a bunch. Very excited to see what our friend Tino has right around the corner. I think J.J. Beal. I think J.J. Beal should try to top him. I think J.J. Beal should try to see if he can like even even know more than Tino knows about F1. I, I think he's up for the that. challenge. I think we he's up for today. it. Yeah. Name name four drivers on the F1 circuit, JJ. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll break into the into the rundown. We'll talk about NFL and and baseball at the end of the show. JJ, name five F1 drivers. Uh, Daniel Ricardo. <laughs> I'd go like Elio uh, Castroneves. Is he still doing that's it? A, yeah. That's a wild first one. Daniel Ricardo is the first name you throw out there. Is a wild one. Max Verstappen. There you go. That's two. Ding, we got ding, two. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, and and that's 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 it. Ah, uh, well, you tried. <laughs> you tried. I have a hunch Tino might take it just a little bit longer than that. Uh, Let's get into what JJ came here to talk about. It's the National Basketball Association season rolling on a season like we've never seen before with the in-season tournament going on for the first time as well. And JJ, speaking of the in-season tournament, we had lots of action all around the league in the in-season tournament last night, including a game between the Golden State Warriors and the Minnesota Timberwolves where we had a real brouhaha breakout between uh, Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green, Jaden McDaniels, Clay Thompson. Everyone was involved. Three, three of those players were ejected. Now I hear people talking about all this beef between Rudy and Draymond Green. And I need you to explain it to me because we talk so much about how I may not be the most prevalent NBA follower, and I'm sure there's a listener out there who's just like me. Explain to me what this beef is and where it stems from and how last night came to be between Draymond and Rudy Gobert. So I want to start by, you know, kind of clarifying what what this scuffle was. You called it a brouhaha. I would go as far as to say it was a Donnybrook and potentially a full-blown riot uh, out on the court last night. Uh, But this all started uh, last year. When uh, after Draymond, you know, punched his other teammate, uh, now Washington Wizard Jordan Poole. Um, but uh, after that, Gobert tweeted something about how, you know, uh, something, you know, throwing shade at Draymond, basically saying like, oh, you know, it's it's always loud or I, I forget what he said. Um, but then when the Timberwolves got knocked out of the playoffs last year 
Draymond then tweeted right back at Gobert, so tweeting him from earlier in the season. So these two just do not like one another. It's as simple as that. And Draymond also has a tendency to get ejected from games that Steph Curry does not play in. And so I think the funniest part about this fight was that it was zero to zero. No points had been scored yet in this game. It was the first two minutes of the game. And immediately, a fight broke out. I mean, I haven't seen moves like that since, I think, since you lived at Pembroke and I started talking trash about the Bills. And then and then those moves were broken out. But other than that, I mean, just absolute chaos on the basketball court. But yeah, this uh, th- it's as simple as that. Draymond Green does not like playing in games that Steph Curry doesn't play in, and he certainly does not like Rudy Gobert. Uh, yeah, I will say, I, I will come clean and say it. Uh, when JJ and I lived together and we were both in college, uh, there was more than one chokehold that was had out when people spoke ill on our Lord and Savior, Josh Allen. What is wrong um, with you people? What is wrong? What is wrong with you people? Like, who Jason, gets into we, fights we're 20 over sports? Who gets into we're fights? 20-year-old boys. Who gets into fights over sports? Like, what, what caveman mentality Rudy is Gobert this? Rudy and Draymond Green do. Well, those are grown who. men. Those are grown men. <laughs> Listen, the fight aside, these are two teams that have a lot of stories surrounding them right now, and the Timberwolves are really interesting to me. JJ, are they a top 10 team in the NBA right now? Well, they're absolutely a top 10 team in the NBA, without a doubt. I mean, you just look at what they've done on the defensive end so far, leading the NBA in net rating with 102.1 defensive rating as, as well. I mean, this team is just absolutely spectacular. They've really figured it out on the defensive end, and now the offense just needs to catch up for them. It's I mean, they, a lot of turnovers on the offensive side of the ball as well, averaging 16.1 turnovers per game. So you know that they're going to figure it out on that end of the floor. And once they do, this is going to be an even more dangerous team. But right now, the defense is what has made this team so good. And they beat the Warriors in back-to-back games. So it's it's a Timberwolves world. We're just living in it. Speaking of those Warriors who they've beat uh, in back-to-back games, they've lost four straight Golden State has. Now, you know, we've got Curry dealing with this injury what is the concern level for the Warriors right now? It should be sky high. Um, I mean, this Warriors team, in every game that Steph Curry has played in this year, he's led them in points. He is their offense. He is their only offense. And, you know, it, you can finally start to see the cracks in the Warriors foundation showing, especially with how talented this Western Conference is. Uh, they they should be absolutely terrified. And shockingly, Chris Paul has not helped or solved any of their problems. Former wizard Chris Paul, by the way. Let's not forget the time that he spent in D.C. Uh, it was very meaningful and quite long. Do you think um, they're going to retire his jersey? I think they probably should. I don't even know what number he was given. Probably like 64 or something since he never saw the court. But yeah, retire 64. I'm with it. Uh all right, elsewhere. Also, how old he is, about- by the way. <laughs> um, elsewhere, talk about another game. The Indiana Pacers are looking really good right now. They beat the Philadelphia 76ers last night. Tyrese Halliburton is leading that team. He's got 32 assists and zero turnovers in his last two games. 
uh, including the win over the 76ers last night. How dangerous is this Pacers team? Because I feel like this is a team that we've kind of written off for years, ever since Paul George left. And it feels like they're kind of coming back into it now. How dangerous are they, JJ? Yeah, I mean, they snapped their they snapped the 76ers eight-game win streak last night. I mean, when you have the dynamic duo of Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner, Miles Turner shoots threes now, which is shocking to me. Um, but he does it, and he does it well. Um, so this this Pacers team is fun. I mean, they just got a bunch of athletes out there. You have Obi Toppin on this team, which if you're the Knicks, you you have to be war crimes, absolute war crimes to pick Obi Toppin over Julius Randle. I mean, what are you doing? Obi Toppin finally given some freedom to go out there and show how athletic he is and to fit into a system, and he's just been spectacular this year. He is the perfect fit for this Pacers team. And they're just building a bunch of athletes out there. It's It's been a pleasure to see this Indiana Pacers team and how scrappy they are. I'm so triggered right now. I'm so friggin' triggered. You know, it's my day off. I'm in a good mood. I'm not on camera. I'm the ghost of Jason. And you got to bring up Obi friggin' Toppin to me right now. You, I got to sit here and listen to you. He's, he's awesome. And he's so good. Tom Thibodeau Can't could not figure a out a like way. My team. Tom Thibodeau could not figure out a way to make this guy work with this team. Like I, I, I don't. If if you're James Dolan and you're watching this, how, how? I, I, well, Jason, in James Dolan's defense, the obvious solution to this for him, at least, is to just ban Obi Toppin from ever coming into Madison Square Garden again, because that's what he tends to do with former Knicks. Carry on. Anyway, Carry on before I throw my entire monitor out the window. <laughs> moving on, moving on, moving on. The most hilarious story to me so far this NBA season, the Los Angeles Clippers. They've lost six straight. They've not won a game with James Harden on their team. They're three and seven so far this season. JJ, what is the problem in L.A.? Oh, where do I begin? What what is the problem in LA? Um, they're they're about ten years late uh, to, to building this team. I mean, the twenty if this if this Clippers team they take a time machine ten years back and you have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook, best team in the league by far, hands down, title favorites. They might go eighty two and zero. Ten years later, however, in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three, they're just not a good basketball team. It's it's not good. Like it's bad basketball. You have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Russell Westbrook taking all the shots, so no one else gets to touch the ball, and no one is shooting particularly that well either. I mean, Paul George is shooting forty seven percent from the field, Kawhi forty five percent, Harden forty seven percent, and Russell Westbrook forty six percent. So not terrible numbers, but when you're taking all of the shots on the team and you're not moving the ball around. That's not a recipe for success. And late in the game last night against the Denver Nuggets, they went small. They had Kawhi Leonard and Paul George guarding Nikola Jokic and with Avika Zubac on the bench. What is going on? I Maybe they're trying to tank, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I, uh, they're bringing in Daniel Tice, so maybe maybe Daniel oh Tice God. is, is going to be the solution. Oh but, you know, James Harden did say they're going to be dangerous once they figure it out. Um, so, so just a heads up to you, Sam, that they will be figuring it out. What it is, I, I don't know. And, and when they will be figuring it out, March, April? Uh, maybe, they probably maybe, maybe figuring out vacation destinations. That's While right. they're in Cabo Cancun, on. they'll figure it out. 
That's yeah. right. Cancun on three. Um, yeah, it's very interesting to me. And just watching a little bit of that Clippers game last night, it seems like they've got decent enough role players. Why do you think that they're not putting the balls in there? Is it just a matter of these are all superstar level players and they're going to throw hissy fits like NBA superstars do when they don't get the ball? Um, or is it something more? Is it is it not having trust in, you know, five through 11 on the bench five through seven on the bench to to come in and, and score meaningful buckets what do you think it is i mean they're all ball dominant play all their star players are ball dominant they need to have the ball in their hands to make an impact and so when that happens then you just have four guys dribbling the air out of the basketball and that that maybe they just throw grenades to guys at the end of the shot clock like justice for bones highland justice for robert covington like justice for terrence man these are all terrific basketball players that are not playing to their full potential because they're not allowed to. Terrence Mann had a huge play in crunch time last night with like 15 seconds left. He stole the ball and gave the Clippers, it may have been more than that, and he may have led to that tying three from the Clippers. But uh, regardless, yeah, I'm with you. Free free all the guys, as they say. That's J.J. Beal. Check out all his work over at AM New York Sports. I'm sure he'll be back on the program very, very soon to tell me more about the happenings in the National Basketball Association. Uh, J.J., Thank you as always, my friend. Always a pleasure, Sam. We'll come back and get into the F1 race coming up out in Sin City this weekend. My guy Tino Patino has a ton to say about it. Coming up right after this. Keep it locked. It's the Sports Wrap. Uh, the Sports Wrap rolls on on this beautiful Wednesday, November 15th. I'm Sam Yarnell in for Jason Page as I am each and every Wednesday on the program. And now we welcome in my close personal friend and our motorsports expert here on the Sports Wrap. You can also check out all of his work for Sirius XM. He covers motorsports for them over there. Tino Patino. Tino, we got a huge race coming up in Vegas this weekend. But for the first time on the program, it's not NASCAR. Let's talk some F1, my guy. It's great to have you back on the Sports Wrap. Yeah, great to be here, Sam. Always a pleasure. And it's going to be a crazy race this weekend. F1, Vegas. It's something that was speculated years ago. And now that the fact that it is here on the strip, in the bright lights, in the city, it's going to be absolutely insane to see. First time ever for F1 out in Sin City. Let's talk a little bit about the F1 season so far, though, Tino. It's been much of the same in F1 this year. Max Verstappen has won 17 of the 20 races to date. He's already locked up his second championship. And and now we've got to start this conversation. Is this the best season in all sports, Tino? Yeah, and that that's a great point. The fact that he's been so dominant this entire year, I honestly have to say, for my opinion, it is the greatest season in sports history that I've ever seen, or at least if not the best, you can throw it up in there with the likes of the Patriots almost going undefeated there, but they ultimately didn't get the job done the Super Bowl. Uh, some of the best teams in sports just aren't able to do what Max Verstappen has done. And now, you know, okay, how is he being able to be this dominant? It comes from funding. It comes from being a part of Red Bull, the best team in F1. You have the most money in F1. You're going to have the best car, and that's ex- 
exactly what happened. And I'm not putting anything down by Max Verstappen. He is a great driver. He is the best driver right now in F1. But, you know, it's just insane to watch because when you're looking at it from a betting standpoint too, right, you log on. There's odds with Max Verstappen. He's probably anywhere from minus 300 to minus 1,000 to win a race any given weekend. But the fact that there's a tab called betting without Verstappen is what really catches my eye. I mean, when have we ever seen something like that? Not only in the sports gambling world, but in the sports world. I mean, you don't see betting without the New England Patriots when they were on that run, right? Or, you know, just other aspects like that. I mean, Tiger Woods, so dominant for such a long time. Sam, do you have any other examples of just crazy runs like this i'm trying to think of them <laughs> it's got to be the perfect miami dolphins team to me yes, right yeah that, that perfection season for the dolphins they go on to win the super bowl and i think it's a perfect comparison to where max verstappen is right now but even if you look back you know five years not not that far into the past in f1 it's something that we've seen before right max verstappen is not the first guy to to kind of do this so tino I guess kind of explain to me and, and the listener, why does this happen in F1 that we have one guy who seems to win all the races and then when that guy's done, it just transitions to another guy and now he's winning all the races. Exactly, exactly. Great point because we've seen it with Lewis Hamilton before with him going on a run winning seven championships and even to relate it back to NASCAR real quick as well. You know, we saw Jimmy Johnson be so dominate, dominant, five championships in a row. But to your point, we haven't like... For outsiders looking in, right, maybe you see the Netflix special and the documentary, and you're like, oh, I'm going to be a fan now. And then Max Verstappen just goes out and win every race. It, it's insane because you would think that that type of dominance that Hamilton and the guys before him even displayed wouldn't be that common. But when you look at F1, it is. And I think, you know, the primary reason is funding. Whoever has the most funding is going to have the best car, but it's funding with the driver. They go hand in hand. You know, if you win races, you're going to get more money. And then if you get more money, you're going to continue to be dominant. Um, and that's what we've seen. We saw that with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes for the, for the early part of the 2000s. And now we're looking at, at it right now from Verstappen. And it does not look like he's going away anytime soon. Like next year, I expect the same exact thing. And it's difficult for F1 because, you know, they want more passing in the races. They want, you know, more views and eyeballs and engagements from different drivers like Lando Norris stepping up. Charles Leclerc is not able to get it done. He is a face in the nation that people are around the world rather that people want to see win races and the fact that they just haven't been able to get it done lando's been good he's a young driver but you look at how he's able to compete against the red bull cars it's not just for sapping either you know Perez, Sergio Perez, you know, maybe he can step up as well. And he's been the only driver. Um, you know, we have seen Carlos Sainz, uh, Sainz been able to go off and win a race that isn't a Red Bull driver winning, but it's still one insane. One yeah, time. one just one time the season. Exactly. That's a one great out of point. 20. One, one out yeah. of 20 races not won by the Red Bull team. I think that exactly. is hilarious. But my question, Tino, to you is this, because it seems like we're talking about something with the sport of F1, and maybe this is a fundamental question that's nuanced and, and even, you know, the likes of you and I won't be able to understand or, or dissect, but you talk about these teams winning all this money and the team who has the most money is clearly in first, right? Like a Verstappen, like a Red Bull. Why doesn't F1 
we talk about them wanting more passing, wanting more competition in the race. Why doesn't F1 establish some sort of limit like in American sports? We have salary caps in terms of what teams can spend on cars or on engineers or mechanics or drivers or whatever it may be to try and even the playing field. Wouldn't that theoretically bring more eyes to the sport? That's a great point. And, and I think, you know, that is something that fans have discussed you know, maybe execs have discussed, but when you have this much money coming in, right, I feel like that's not something they want to deter. I want, I, and I think, you know, they want to keep the Red Bulls, bringing in their marketing, bringing in their ads, show just, and keep having them dominate because, and, and it's been, you know, Mercedes as well, the other sponsors in there, McLaren, you know, they, but it's all huge names being brought into F1. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between F1 and IndyCar or F1 and NASCAR? And it really is the funding that each sport gets, um, you know, different styles of racing. Sure. But if someone's not able to get to that upper echelon of F1 and they're racing, you know, an IndyCar, which is still super competitive, but clearly the difference is thousands of dollars and millions of dollars. So to answer your question there, I mean, I think that's a great point, but I just, I feel like they've been doing it for this way for so long that more money is better than less money. <laughs> that, that's right. what I would think. Right. You can't go broke making money. And I think uh, that's what the F1 drivers and F1 officials think there too. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? All right, let's get into this race in Vegas. First time F1 has ever made their way out to Sin City like we talked about at the top. Tino, you've got a lot of connections to Vegas. You've spent a lot of your time out in Vegas. Obviously, a guy with a gold jacket, he knows Vegas like the back of his hand, right? Tell me what fans of F1 and residents of Vegas have kind of felt about this entire event for the years that we've been building up to it. So I feel like to start off, they were excited about it. Oh, F1's going to be in my city. I just watched the documentary. You know, that's going to be awesome. They're going to race through the streets. And then the setup started and people were like, hold on a second. There's traffic now. They are tearing down, you know, bushes and trees and walkways to build a racetrack in the middle of where I'm trying to go to work <laughs> and walk and be a, you know, live a normal lifestyle. And I think their opinions really changed. Uh, and I think that is reflected in the ticket prices now, you know, going down as well. We get into a little that a little bit more later as well, but it's just insane to see that how much F1 has kind of come in and torn up their city right just for this one race now don't get me wrong like that's what you have to do if you're going to have a big event you're going to go all out you're going to put it there and at least you know from what i was hearing you because know, i was in vegas earlier this year uh for the nascar race for the nascar playoff race in fact just last month or so and i was trying to get a vibe they weren't totally set up there for the f1 it was more early construction in, in terms of the uh, racetrack and everything like that but hearing what people had to say about it uh, it was a lot of mixed emotions. They were excited that F1 was going to be showcasing Vegas, but they didn't want all the hassle of it actually being there because it was hurting their commute. It was hurting, you know, their own uh, sidewalks and everything like that. Um, so I think, and especially the, Another thing, too, is with the price of the tickets being so high, these people can't even go to the race themselves. Like, like it's the people that I'm talking to are Uber drivers and you know fans at the NASCAR race and other other people that are walking all on the street themselves, right? But they're not going to be going to the race. You're going to have 
millions of dollars, uh, thousands of dollars for these tickets, and these people that are going to be going and watching the race are you know, high-end, living large people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can't even get to the own race that's going to be in your city and affecting your commute every day. Now, I even said this. I was like, well, can you guys, you know, walk up to the track, kind of look through the look through the fence area, right, and, and kind of consume it from that perspective? And they said no, because they're just going to block it off. And I think that's a mistake by F1. I think to me, if I'm a fan, if I, if I live there and I'm a – commuter i'm a consumer of just vegas in general i want to be able to see it from afar even if it's just like one little one little wing of the car driving past from from afar i want to be able to see something happening there and then that's how i become an f1 f1 fan and i don't think they're executing that right i don't think anyone should be blocked off from viewing it and i think you know with the setup and everything it it's hurting a lot of the fans that could have potentially become f1 fans this weekend so it's interesting when we talk about them going through a major city, right? Because Vegas is not the first major city that F1 goes through. Matter of fact, I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the most famous races on the F1 circuit every year, the most notable, Monaco, right? That goes through the middle of the city. So, Tino, what do they do differently in Monaco that they aren't doing in Vegas? That Because you don't seem to get these same complaints from the residents of Monaco, right? They look forward to F1 coming to their city every year. It's a spectacle. It's a tradition. Why was F1 not able to successfully execute the same kind of plan for having their racetrack in the middle of a city center in Vegas? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, I can't say for sure because I, I haven't been in Monaco or talked to those people or seen what they've said, really. But I will say this. I think, you know, with it have been there at Monaco for so long now, you know, and, and that being tradition, right, maybe they're just used to it at this point. Um, they ha didn't have to have that uh, sort of just slammed right down in their faces in the middle of Nowhere, right? Not not in the middle of nowhere. Right. Location wise, just uh, time wise, like oh, okay, now here it is, bang. You know, like this is this is a racetrack. Uh, I think that's probably what the thought process is because they're not used to it because it's not already something that's there in Monaco. You know, people growing up now, uh, maybe that's what they thought in the whenever the track was built there in Monaco. They're like, oh man, this is tearing up our city. Or maybe they thought of it as a good investment investment because then it brings Monaco brings people to Monaco and with people in Vegas, you don't need anything more to bring people to Vegas. This, this race isn't promoting people to come to Vegas. It's promoting F1 in Vegas. Now, maybe it will, you know, maybe you see people from across the country coming to Vegas because of this track, the bright lights, the sphere, the marketing and everything like that. So that brings me to my next point. You talked about knowing Uber drivers in the Vegas area, right? Obviously this is something that's going to bring people from every corner of the world into this city. From a public transportation standpoint, Vegas isn't necessarily a New York or a D.C. when it comes to that, but are they really prepared to move people who don't have their own way of transportation? Because Vegas, I'm not familiar with it. I've never been, but I know you are. It doesn't seem like a very walkable. It doesn't seem like a very walkable part of, of the country. You know what I mean? It just seems like if you're going from your hotel to, to the paddock or wherever you're watching the race from, that's going to be more than just a walk. It may be a commute. So how is Vegas prepared from a public transportation standpoint to deal with all these people? I do think they have plans in place. Uh, I, I honestly will 
uh, chime in there, and I, I feel like it is a walkable place uh, from being there. Okay. You walk all okay. the strip and everything like that, and you know, maybe not the most walkable, but definitely, I think uh, it gives you there is the option too, right? It's not like you have to drive everywhere there, and that's not at least that's not what I've seen because when the racetrack's put right in the strip, you should be able to, or at least along there in that area, you should be able to walk and get to where you got to go from there, from where all the casinos are, the hotels the big buildings and everything like that. Now, in terms of the driving, I feel like there are plans in place. There should be, right? There should be shuttles driving, you know, you from place to place, from turn to turn. Um, and if they don't have that, that's a mistake. Uh, I haven't seen much of the, from that point of view. So that's a great question because like the transportation, that's sometimes something that goes a little unnoticed or flies under the radar. And then that affects the overall fan experience, uh, just like you're mentioning there. So I, I would hope with all the money that's going into this event that F1 is prepared for something like that. They do take care of the consumer and the people that are ultimately buying the tickets to go to this race because we know that if you don't buy a ticket, you're not going to be able to, or at least it's going to be very hard to see the race. And that to me, right. yeah, you know, it goes hand in hand. Like, for instance, when I was in Chicago for the NASCAR uh, Chicago Street Race, the awesomest thing that I saw when I was there was walking outside the track and seeing people lined up against the fence. These weren't people that bought tickets, but this is a street race. They, they live in the, in the city streets. They're, wa- they're, wa- they're working, walking home from work, going to work, going out to lunch, and they see a NASCAR race right there. So they want to go up and, and look into the fence. And like, let's be real. It's not such a, you know. A great view but it's something that no. gets the person attracted and i think that's something you you know if you don't buy a ticket i don't think you need to uh have to go and, and and look at that obstructed view with other people lined up i think that's something that's a great visual for you know to market right to see people lined up against the stands there uh against the fence there and i think that's something that f1 should have done uh and and we'll see we'll see if people get to be able to have that view you know on social media i'm sure we'll d- look at different um videos and, and angles there that we get my favorite so far has been like from the hotel buildings looking down <laughs> that's been awesome to see but uh yeah we'll have to see when it comes race day so we've talked enough about where the track is going to go through and how it affects those people before we get into your picks and how we're going to make some money on this race tino give me like one two or three big takeaways that you see looking at this track and how it's going to run through las vegas what drivers it may play into the strings of. for sure well with it being a street race we're looking at verstappen he's going to dominate once again with <laughs> with it being any race we're always looking for Verstappen. honestly at this point um you know it's interesting that i think that's been my biggest point here with it being a new track a, a new configuration and a new city everything like with everything that's going into this race who will be a factor and i think that's my one big takeaway is it's going to be Verstappen again um he is so just wired to win every race this season obviously he hasn't won every race so far but 17 out of 20 is insane and i honestly thought he locked up the championship a a few weeks ago they're coming off of a i believe a couple week break there to where okay he already has a championship you know maybe he doesn't want to go out and you know run as hard as he has been all season because he can't win every single race, right? Since uh, the Ferrari driver and Carlos Sainz, you know, snuck one in there and he won the championship. So to me, I was like, oh, maybe he'll come out a little relaxed. No, 
No, he did not. He pedaled to the metal, like literally, absolutely trying to dominate every single lap and every single race. So to me, I think that's my first takeaway is Verstappen is going to be dominant in this one because it's just another highlight in his career. To win the first ever Vegas race will be something special. Takeaway two, um, you know, you got 14 turns, I think four major passing zones in this one. Um, there was like a nice loop. It looks like around the sphere and then some sharp corners as well, but a pretty wide track, uh, lots of straightaways. So we're going to see the cars going very fast in this one. So takeaway two is going to be speed. It's going to be a great race in this one. And then the laps, only 50 laps might seem a little short, but the track is 3.8 miles long as well. So that's something to consider <laughs> pretty long uh, distance there. I think if that's my third takeaway, it's going to be, I'd love to see how that measures out to be a good race or not. I mean, I, I know, I hope there's some passing. I hope it gives the fans what they are looking for. And I hope the drivers are comfortable too, right? Racing in this one. Cause you really don't know until you get out there and practice qualifying and ultimately the race to see how the cars are going to handle on this brand new track. And you know, another thing I'll mention too, is I don't think the bright lights, I don't think the fanfare, like once you're locked into the car there, I think the drivers are kind of set. They're not seeing the sphere, right? <laughs> they're not seeing anything because they're also going, what, 200 miles per hour. So uh, those would be my three takeaways there uh, going into this F1 Vegas weekend. All right, Tino. It's Wednesday, which means it's a pretty good time to bet on this race before the practices or the final practices, the qualifying and obviously race day. Max Verstappen is currently minus 290, and that number is only going to get less favorable to betters. How are we going to attack this race to try and come out of it with profit? Definitely. So, you know, recognizing that fact is is great to start off with. Max Verstappen being the favorite again at minus 290. You know, you might look at that and say, oh, that's a huge favorite, but especially in the racing world, right? Like we talked about NASCAR, you know, and, and shows prior, right? And it was like, okay, a favorite is five to one, six to one. Well, with, with someone dominating F1 like he has all this season, that's a fair, that's a fair favorite uh, price, I would say for him at minus 290. So I, if, if you're going to bet on this one, I'd hop on that right now. It's only going to, it's only going to go down. Um, as soon as you, as soon as you're listening to this video, this pod right now, pull out your phone, put that bet in. And now let's consider some more options. So Lando Norris is a driver that stands out to me. He's been up there. He's had a great sort of summer stretch into now the fall here. A few races left. He's the young driver and he's up there. He's winning sprint races. He's getting poles or, or podiums finishes as well there. And he's getting himself in position to bring speed to the track and ultimately showcase what he can do and go up there head to head with Verstappen at times and see him drive into the corner fast, have good corner exit and be able to make passes as well. Landon Norris is really not even surprised me, but impressed me about who he's the driver he's becoming. This is the potential he's had. Uh, and the McLaren cars have been really, really fast. Um, Mercedes hasn't, they've been consistently up there as well, but have not been in contention for wins, really. Uh, they've been podium finishes, sure, but it's either Russell having a good day or Hamilton having a good day. Let's get them both up there as well. Uh, so right now, I got to go Lando Norris. Charles Leclerc is plus 1,400 there. I'm staying away from him. Charles has let me down almost every race this season, and I think he's just had a Leclerc season um, from – He's crashed on the opening pace laps, like, and things like that. His car has broken down. Their strategy at Ferrari is really what does it, does these drivers in. 
is they just have not been able to match the speed of Red Bull, but no one else has. So that's fine. But the strategy that they have, he'll be lead in, right? And then, okay, come in, pit, change your tires, or leave him on the the different type of tires than the other uh, drivers have been switching on to. Just, like, stuff that doesn't make sense, really, and ultimately ends up hurting their drivers and costing them great finishes. Not that it w- he would be in contention to get the win or anything, but definitely a podium finish. It drops him ne- down there from... You know, maybe getting a, a podium to now he's fighting for a top four, five, six finish there, uh, you know, and trying to get some points out of it. So to me, Leclerc has let us down so far, so many times uh, this season. And Lewis Hamilton's a driver I definitely want to talk about in this one, too. Right. When we look on the odds board, he is one, two, three, four, fifth, the fifth favorite in this one. So obviously, maybe. With the speed he's had, that's been a factor. But with it being an you know an American race, everyone loves him from here, right? Everything, and and I feel like he gets a lot of the publicity because he is just so loved after what he's been able to do prior to Verstappen. And I think Verstappen's now at this point probably the bad guy, right? Probably like Tom Brady, Patriots era, and Lewis is Tom Brady, Bucks era, and I think that's the difference between them two. Uh, and they just kind of adore him and love him and and Verstappen's got fans obviously but like in the America and I'm just seeing more Lewis fans uh you know just from people growing up and everything like that so it'd be cool to see him get a win in this one I don't think he's gonna but he's plus 1900 to do so and I think he'll have a strong run I, I think a podium finish is honestly uh you know not out of the question for Lewis in this one all right. Well, there you go. That's Tino Patino. You can check out all his work uh, at Tino Patino on all of your social media feeds, whether that's TikTok, Twitter, formerly known as Twitter. It's now X. He's on the show plenty. We'll have him on again to talk real soon. Tino, always great to talk about the real fast engines with you, my friend. <laughs> Appreciate it, Sam. <laughs> The sports wrap rolls on. We'll get into some NFL news and notes and wrap up the show talking with some MLB free agency coming up next. Sports wrap rolls on on a Wednesday, November 15th the year of our lord as jj beal likes to affectionately say what was that uh, about by the way can you explain what that is about is there something behind that it's an internet thing it's an internet thing when you're trying to uh when you're trying to emphasize that uh, something that you're talking about is not necessarily pertinent to the current era or current juncture you say the year of our lord whatever um (laughs) Anyway, thanks to JJ. Told you Tino had a lot to talk about, about the F1 race coming up in Vegas, but that was awesome. Uh, We will be tailing his bets um, and hopefully making some money. And I'd like to see someone besides Max Verstappen win in Vegas this weekend. All right, let's get in to some NFL news and notes. Big story coming out of Cleveland this morning. Quarterback Deshaun Watson has a shoulder fracture. He's sidelined for the rest of 2023 dorian thompson robinson according to kevin stefanski will get the start this sunday for the cleveland browns pj walker will back him up i doubt that dorian thompson robinson is the starter for the rest of the season for cleveland especially in the position in which they find themselves with a a stellar defense and decent enough weapons even without nick chubb decent enough weapons on offense 
I think that they'll probably go sign somebody off the street. Obviously, Carson Wentz not available anymore, but you hear rumblings of someone coming out of the booth. Uh, a Matt Ryan, you know, Jason said during the break, Joe Flacco is still out there. Maybe he gets a chance. Interesting. It's very interesting to see. So, so far this season without Deshaun Watson, because he has already missed three games, the Browns are one and two. Uh, the win is against San Francisco. The losses are to Baltimore and Seattle. That Baltimore loss was a bad one uh, for the Cleveland Browns. They're going to struggle without their starting quarterback. And this really is not just a knock on Deshaun Watson because it is a knock on Deshaun Watson, who has not been seemingly able to to stay healthy or show his drive to be a winner uh, since getting traded to Cleveland. This also speaks very, very poorly to me at least, on Bronco, or I'm sorry, on Brown's ownership and uh, Brown's player personnel, Brown's coaching. Uh, this is a team in, in Cleveland that had Josh Dobbs before the season started on the roster, and they decided to let him walk in favor of Dorian Thompson Robinson and PJ Walker, who have shown themselves shown their true colors so far through the three games that they've had to fill in for Deshaun Watson in. And that's not great when your your professional scouting department is telling you that a guy uh, in Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who is much younger, uh, and a guy in P.J. Walker, who was a quarterback just a year, maybe two ago, on one of, if not the worst teams in the league in the Carolina Panthers, they're telling you that those two are better than Josh Dobbs, who went and took an Arizona Cardinals team that no one expected anything from and won multiple games with them and now is on a team in Minnesota uh, playing an amazing quarterback, quite frankly, the the things that he had to do on five days uh, notice, five days after being traded to the team, having to come in. Uh, Josh Dobbs is the real deal, and it, it looks really bad that the Browns let him just walk uh, for nothing. This is a tough spot for Cleveland, and it's a tough time to be a Cleveland football fan. I'm very interested to see how the reaction is uh, when we get three weeks into this injury, four weeks into this injury, heck, by the end of the season, uh, in terms of the Cleveland fan relationship with their management and with their ownership, and if they're seeing the same things that I am, because quite frankly, on, on its face, this seems like a real letdown from a player personnel perspective, uh, when you could have had Josh Dobbs start three games already and now four and the rest of the season, but instead you're stuck with uh, DTR and, and PJ Walker. Just don't don't necessarily see the connection there in terms of scouting. The Jets released Michael Carter. Huh? Wrong guy. Uh, wrong running back. Uh, not sure why they're punting on a fourth round pick from two years ago instead of the 30-something-year-old running back they signed off the street for basically nothing at the beginning of the season. But hey, that's a them decision, not me. This is not the guy who the Jets needed to get rid of, and it's just kind of grasping at straws, trying to find a scapegoat for why their season has taken such a horrible turn. Because quite frankly, even without a quarterback, uh, a competent quarterback, they should still be better than they are, and they've still been quite a letdown this season. Uh, you talk about the Aaron Rodgers injury, guy who's speculating that he'll come back in a month, uh, which would be, you know, three, not even three and a half months after tearing his Achilles. Um, if he does come back in that short of a time period, there, there needs to be a serious discussion about how legitimate the tearing of the Achilles was. 
uh, if it wasn't just a, a calf strain or a calf sprain that was very, very deep and very bad. Uh, players, let alone players who have to drive off of the leg in which they just tore their Achilles, should not be able to come back from that magnitude of injury that quickly. I don't care about the technology, the recovery time sitting on your butt for a month as a 30, whatever year old as Aaron Rodgers is should make you incapable of throwing a pass in the NFL for two weeks, at least uh, let alone doing it for two and a half months. And now he's expecting to come back that quickly. I just don't see it happening. If he does do it again, serious conversation into did he actually tear his Achilles or was it kind of a way that they could get him into the locker room, not have him be a national story, which hasn't been the case. He still quite very much has been, but try and oversell this injury so that he could come back. Interesting conversation needs to be had. Bottom of the uh, bottom line here is the Jets are scrambling, trying to do anything, uh, cutting, waving their fourth round pick from just two years ago. Finally, the Texans linebacker Denzel Perryman has been suspended three games for repeated violations of player safety uh, measures, rules, the most recent of which obviously came in the Texans game against the Bengals when he hit Jamar Chase, that forcible helmet-to-helmet contact. So Perryman's now going to miss games against the Cardinals, Jags, and Browns. I'm not worried about the games against the Cardinals and Browns, especially with the quarterback situation in Cleveland now. Uh, I think that those won't be that hard for the Texans, although it'll be interesting to see the Texans offense against the Cleveland defense. I'm more concerned about that Jaguars game in the middle because for those of us who have tickets on the Texans to win the AFC South, that is a game that they must win. And Denzel Perryman is a huge part of that run-stopping offense. So stopping Travis Etienne and the rest of the Jaguars, yes, it's Travis Etienne and the rest of the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence has thrown fewer fewer touchdown passes this season than games he's played in, which, again, unacceptable for an NFL quarterback, but also unacceptable for an NFL quarterback who was a top-five pick in the NFL draft less than half a decade ago. Uh, So going to be tough for the Texans to stop Travis Etienne and that Jags offense in that game in two weeks, especially without Denzel Perryman. But I think they'll still be able to do it. Time will only tell. It'll be good to have Denzel Perryman back in the lineup when they get him back. We'll come back and wrap up the sports wrap. I've got something to say about Major League Baseball free agency. It's all coming up next. You're listening to the sports wrap. Wrapping up this Wednesday edition of the Sports Wrap, Sam Yarnell in for Jason, as I am each and every Wednesday here on the program. Thanks again to J.J. Beal and Tino Patino for joining us today. A couple of pieces of baseball news to get you out of here on because I'm a baseball guy and it's always going to be in the show. Skip Schumacher of the Miami Marlins and Brandon Hyde of the Baltimore Orioles are your 2023 
managers of the year in Major League Baseball, two deserving candidates, Schumacher and Hyde, both heavy, heavy favorites at about the midway point of the season. Once the Marlins had established that they were going to be a playoff contender with that roster, and once the Orioles got into first place in the AL East, he kind of just knew that these two guys were going to be the guys. Credit to both of them. They both did amazing jobs, uh, and I hope that Schumacher can figure something out with the ownership situation going on down in Miami. All right, another story that I would love to get the ghost of Jason's opinion on here. Drama in the Bronx. Drama north of Manhattan. This is this is one hell of a story. This is the most Yankee story ever. So Brian Cashman last week, or, or early this week, goes into the media talking about John Carlos Stanton and contract negotiations and says Stanton if we give him a contract he'll probably wind up getting hurt again were his exact words uh again not factually debatable he is a guy who suffers injuries all the time uh has missed massive parts of the last few seasons last season alone uh seemingly then John Carlos Stanton's agent, Joe Wolf, says something along the lines of, you have to be made of Teflon both mentally and physically if you want to play in New York for the Yankees. This is going to get very, very interesting just well, because of... All, everybody's I mean, just saying the quiet Stanton part. Signed with the yeah, but the problem is everybody's just saying the quiet part out loud now. You know, Brian, well, the agent for Stanton is just saying the quiet part out loud that New York has become almost an impossible place to play, especially with the Yankees, because the expectation level is so high. Agents around baseball already know this, Um, you know, management around baseball, other GMs around base. Everybody knows this at this point. Everybody knows if you want to come and play in New York at this point, this is what you sign up for. You're signing up for, you know, booing fans when you have your first 0 for 15 or a 1 for 25. The fans are impatient. It's all, it's, in fact, Yankee fans have, and I say this as a Yankee fan, they've almost become caricatures of themselves. Like now it's, they're booing just for the sake of booing. Oh, I have a expensive ticket so I can boo. I mean that's and that's the reality. And and they're all that Yankee fans are doing by doing this is scaring away the talented free agents that might be out there. Or guys that might say, "Hey, I'll waive my no trade, but I don't want it to be to the Yankees cuz I don't want to deal right. with that headache." And it's not and look, Met fans do it to a degree, but not to the degree that Yankee fans do it. Because the expectation level for the Mets is, we know we're going to suck. We're no, right. we're, we know that some way, somehow, we're going to screw it up at the end of the year. You know, Yankee fans, though, they just think everything they touch is going to turn to gold. You know, Sonny, go look at Sonny Gray. I was watching him in this postseason. And thinking, didn't the Yankees have Sonny Gray? And you could do this with countless players year after year. You will see this. 
And you and I were talking off air a little bit about it, Jason, and and this was my comparison, and I think it rings true because of the career trajectories of both of these players. When you think about Stanton starting out in Miami was one of the faces, if not, well, not not the face of that team, but definitely one of them uh, on a great Miami Marlins team that was very talented and should have won way more games than it did. And then coming over to New York, not having the success in New York and, and leading to this, it is so comparable to Jacoby Ellsbury for me, a guy who was a cornerstone of the Red Sox outfield for years, won world championships with them, came to New York under the same kind of hopes that Stanton did, going to be one of the key pieces in a team that goes back to the World Series and gets us the first championship since 09, right, as the Yankees and he didn't, and it was a letdown, and it's kind of been the same thing. And by the end of it, I feel like Yankees fans' relationships with Ellsbury was much closer to what it is with Stanton. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree. I'm just looking at the quote from Cashman, and I think it's important to read it because it is, to me, it is the height of irresponsible, unprofessional, whatever you want to say, whether it's true. By the way, what he's saying has a lot of merit, and it might be true, you still totally. don't say this. We try Never. to limit the time he's down, Cashman said, at the general manager meetings in Arizona, according to the New York Daily News. But I'm not going to tell you he's going to play every game next year because he's not. He's going to wind up getting hurt again more likely than not because it seems to be part of his game. I'm just, I, when I read that quote, I'm like, how did... How does Brian Cashman have a job? Not because exactly. of this. How does I'm he just, manage one of thirty in a, an MLB teams? Yes. It, it doesn't. It does not make sense to it's, me. It's the cumulative effect of everything that's gone on here over the last, you know, several months with this team and with Cashman. And I you know, Jason say Wolf, years go back to the ALCS and, losses. And Jason Wolf represents the biggest free agent international pitcher on the market in um Yas- in Yamamoto this kid that's coming over from Japan in this offseason the world is too small the industry is too small you cannot do these things and then expect that these agents who represent these guys everybody talks everybody's friends that these guys are going to want to come and play for the Yankees when you have a GM that's saying these kinds of dumb things it's just it's mind blowing as a Yankee fan, um, I feel like we have little to look forward to. No matter how much money we spend in the offseason, no matter what cosmetic changes we make to this roster before next year, I feel bad for Yankee fans right now because we're stuck with incompetent management right now between Boone, between Cashman, all the way up to the owner and Hal Steinbrenner. I'm with you, and as an outsider, not that I, I feel like if not that I feel like the team that I root for, the Nationals, their GM would be incapable of doing this. I feel like in, in some sick, twisted world, there's probably a chance, right? If the relationship with the player is that frayed, but you're Brian Cashman. You are one of maybe three household names as a general manager. You are a general manager of the most or second most famous baseball team in history you've got to understand your role and you're in the biggest media market in the world you've got to understand that anything you say is going to be taken the worst way possible and there's no way for as long as brian cashman has done this that he didn't understand that and whether it was just a mental slip up or actually something that he meant to say uh 
it is very interesting, but I, I'm with you. I, I know the Steinbrenner, the Steinbrenner family loves Brian Cashman, and that's why he's kept his job for so long. I, I cannot if they lose Stanton over this, uh, and they lose other free agents over this. I don't see. I don't see that that relationship surviving this. It's less about losing Stan. The guy hit 190 and played 100 games no, last but, year. No, but you think it's about less the effect about it losing has for Stan. others. Right, that's what I'm going to say. It's less about losing Stanton. It's more about everything else you're going to lose as a result of the comments. It's the collateral damage beyond Stanton and the fact that you have an agent that represents international players who already have this, this anxiety when it comes to playing in New York. Um, go all the way back, back to Hideki Arabu for crying out loud. Go look him up. Uh, you know, one of those first Japanese imports that came in. It was a disaster for the Yankees. Big pussy toad. Fat pussy toad was what George Steinbrenner called him. Fat pussy toad. Uh, so the Yankees already don't have a great reputation as an organization when it comes to these guys. And then you go and act like this when it comes to Stanton. Again, whether it's true or not is irrelevant. It's the damage right. and it's the look that it gives your organization. It'll be very interesting to see if the Yankees sign any free agents. And that leads me into my last point. I, I think Shohei Otani is a great baseball player, maybe the greatest of all time already. We need to stop talking about him. The Otani sweepstakes have taken over baseball media. It's all we talk about when we talk about baseball right now. And we are completely overlooking the 2024 free agent class. You have guys, just to name a few, Cody Bellinger, World Series champion, Matt Chapman, one of the most electric third basemen in the league, Sonny Gray, Josh Hader, one of the best relievers in the game, J.D. Martinez, World Series champion, Jordan Montgomery, fresh off of leading that Texas pitching staff uh, to the World Series, Aaron Nola, the ace of the Philadelphia Phillies for what, five years now? Blake Snell was just in the Cy Young race in the National League. Tim Anderson had the worst season of his career, but he's still a multi-time all-star. Aroldis Chapman, is he too old? Don't know, but some team's going to take a flyer on him. Jack Flaherty is one of the best starting pitchers on the market, and you just heard me mention a bunch of the other ones. Reese Hoskins missed this entire year with a knee injury, and everyone seems to have forgotten that he's one of the better first basemen in the National League when you know you have that upper echelon of Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson, but Reese Hoskins is not that far behind those guys. Craig Kimbrell is a guy who at times has been the best reliever in baseball. The free Asian class right now is so stacked and everyone is just continuing to worry about the Otani sweepstakes. There's going to be some team that punts on Otani, some contender, whether it's the Dodgers, whether it's the Mariners, the Giants, there's going to be some team that punts on Otani and goes out and locks down, you know, three of the, however many 10 guys I just mentioned, and they're going to be better off than the team that signs Otani. The free agent class in Major League Baseball right now is outstanding, and teams need to stop worrying about Otani so much and start looking into alternate ways because, quite frankly, you can pay a guy who's a better hitter than Otani, and you can pay a guy who's a better pitcher than Otani, and they're both on that list I just read. They're both out there for free right now. That'll do it for this Wednesday edition of the Sports Wrap. Thanks again to Tino Patino, JJ Beal, and the ghost of of Jason Page for joining me on the program today. We will be back tomorrow. Jason and I will together. We'll break down the Thursday night football matchup and much, much more. Will your What's voice up, will, will your voice be back too? 
my voice will be back and we, <laughs> it has to be back because we have a banger of a Thursday night game tomorrow. <laughs> Bengals, Ravens for the AFC North. My gosh, get your popcorn ready. I can't wait to talk about it. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Thanks so much. Another episode of the Sports Wrap in the books on a Wednesday.